0: Hello and welcome. I'm Mimi Footnip and you're listening to the Pedal Pumping Podcast, the podcast that explores all things pedal pumping. I am a pedal pumping content creator and foot model and you can get links to connect with me and see my work on my website, mimifootnip.com. First off, as always, I want to start by thanking my patrons who support this podcast over on Patreon. Tevin, Matt, Joe, Jim, Riker, Old Dirty, Michael, DBM, Not A Golfer, Sheldon, and Sean. Thank you all so, so much. This podcast is possible thanks to these guys. So yay, round of applause to them. And if you want to join them and become part of our little Patreon community, go over to patreon.com slash pedal pumping podcast and sign up. We'd welcome you. We welcome you with open arms. Uh, today on the podcast, I'm going to read some stories and I'm going to talk about some technical things about cranking and making cranking videos. So a listener wrote in to answer some of my questions about like, you know, killing the starter and things we talked about last week. I posed some questions. So got some info, I'm not a mechanic, I, I can't verify that everything I'm going to say is true and factual, but I'm going to trust in good faith that it is, and if if anyone wants to, you know, has any other opinions or ideas, feel free to email them to me at mimifootnip at gmail.com. Also I welcome you to email me anytime. Uh, about anything pedal pumping related I'm always happy to read your emails I may not respond to you but I'll try to get everyone's email on the podcast if you want to remain anonymous please let me know that and if I'm not sure I will err on the side of caution and keep you anonymous or just use your first name if it's a common first name that it's unlikely you'd be identified all right uh so we'll dive into all of that but first let's take a quick break okay we're back from the break I uh sat down to record this podcast today and the high school band is practicing I live uh, across the street from a high school football field and they are I don't know if there's a game going on or they're practicing but you may hear some band music <laughs> So that's a little extra bonus that I wasn't planning on, but we we will, uh, the show must go on. So I've got an email here that says, Hi Mimi, I re-listened to your commentary on the July 1st Nylons and Cadillac Struggles podcast this morning. I loved your reactions to my fetish story and I have to go further. I've never told anyone what I'm going to share with you and this little community in the following paragraphs. You asked if I had a Cadillac of my own. Yes, I have my own vintage Cadillac, similar to models driven by my mother and other female family members of my family back in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. A slight digression here. During my teen years, I tried on numerous occasions to create pedal pumping moments with the girls I was dating in high school, but none of them reacted to a hard starting car the way my fantasy demanded. I needed them to pump and panic the way my mother did, but they didn't, so I had to take matters into my own hands, legs, and feet. Truth be told, at that point in my life, I became a pedal-pumping crossdresser, deriving enormous sexual excitement from dressing and driving. It's been this way since the first time I put on a pair of my mother's pantyhose. I was home alone one afternoon and went into her bathroom, and there they were. A pair of Hanes Alive support pantyhose hanging on the towel rack next to the bathtub. I'd seen nylons like this a million times, but on that day they called to me. Adrenaline was pumping furiously through my body as I lifted them carefully off the towel rack. I knew the second I was sensuously compressed into those tight, shiny nylons with my pale white legs now lustrous suntan brown that I was hooked. I have lived a life of embarrassment because of this turn-on, but the turn-on, as those of us who experience it well know, is far more powerful than the shame. Since my mother's often frantic pedal-pumping experiences nearly always included nylons, like the ones that hypnotized me that day in her bathroom, it was a logical progression for me to bring them into my pedal-pumping fantasies. From the time I was 16 years old, When I got to take my mom's Cadillac out on my own, I would often underdress a pair of her pantyhose before the trip. As soon as I got away from our neighborhood, I would pull over in a quiet place and turn off the engine. Then I would take off my shoes and socks, slip off my jeans, move the electric seat back so I was reaching for the pedals the way my mom did, and then I would do what I had watched her do throughout my young life. I would pump the huge floor-mounted gas pedal of her Cadillac with my pointed foot 10, 15, 20 times. I loved seeing my shiny, nylon-covered leg reaching for the floor again and again as I pumped. The act of pumping was like a drug. The physical reaction I would experience inside the pantyhose was immediate, too. After I was sure the carburetor was hopelessly flooded, I would pause for a moment to clear my head of the flooding procedure that I was doing so intentionally i would engage in some mundane tasks like checking the mirrors or the radio then as if i had just gotten into the car to go do errands i would press down on the gas pedal and turn the key to start the engine but it wouldn't start what's wrong with you today i would wonder with a hint of annoyance when the cadillac disappointed me after failing to start a second time i would get upset as mom always did and begin pumping the pedal with my outstretched leg as I turned the key, demanding that the Cadillac provide me with the power I was entitled to as a function of being in the driver's seat. With each failed attempt to start the huge V8, my frustration would increase along with my arousal. It was infuriatingly wonderful. The huge car would buck and shake as I bounced up and down in the leather bucket seat while stabbing the gas pedal with my beautiful nylon-covered leg. "'What is wrong with you today?' I would whimper as if the car was intentionally challenging my authority. After numerous failures, I would finally press the gas pedal down to the floor with my arched foot and hold the key forward, grinding the starter until the carburetor would clear enough to let the misbehaving engine chug to life. "'It's about time!' I would cry as exhaust poured from the rear of the car." I would have to punish the Cadillac for its unresponsiveness to my demands for power by revving the engine savagely with my sheer toes until the V8 engine idled smoothly. OMG, those were amazing times. Everything always worked out wonderfully in the end. The car was running and I was satisfied. Today I frequently go for drives in my old Cadillac dressed in nylon skirts and pretty shoes. In my Cadillac, which has electronic fuel injection, a horrible invention if you ask any pedal pumper, I have been able to recreate the effect of my engine being unresponsive to my demands for power by installing a special switch that, when activated, prevents the car from starting. It will crank, cough, and stutter, but it won't start no matter how frantically I pump the gas pedal. I love the sensation of swishing nylon against my thighs as I pump. When the car finally starts, after I flip the switch back to the run position, I punish my Cadillac by angrily revving the engine with my pointed foot while threatening to send it to the scrapyard if it ever misbehaves again. This gives me a chance to reassert my fragile sense of control over the car, but gratefully my Cadillac never learns its lesson. And... Another story from the same listener. Yesterday, away from home and my Cadillac, I had an unplanned, scary pedal-pumping experience in an old pickup truck on a narrow country dirt road. I was dressed in pantyhose, a skirt, and little pink ballet flats. In many ways, I prefer ballet flats to five-inch stiletto heels because they make me feel younger, less sure of myself, and more vulnerable. During the first part of my country drive, the big truck behaved itself until the road led me to a steep incline. I stopped at the bottom and looked up. I could see that the ground was dry and loose, which made me nervous. But what choice did I have? I had to get up the hill, so I put the truck in first gear and reached for the gas pedal and pressed down, delivering my desire for the truck to climb the hill. Nervousness became fear when halfway up the steep hill the rear tires lost traction and spun in the soft dirt even as I pressed down harder on the gas pedal and begged the truck to keep climbing. Suddenly I was losing ground, the truck slid sideways and then began to slip backward even with the engine roaring and my foot pressing the gas pedal all the way down to the floor. When the engine suddenly stalled, I had to jam on the brakes with my left foot to keep my truck from rolling back down the steep hill into a creek bed from which there would be no escape. Once the truck was stopped awkwardly on the hill, I couldn't get it started again. I was turning the key and pumping the gas pedal desperately, but it wouldn't start. It was one of those perfect moments when real circumstances exactly matched my denial of power fantasies and instead of my imagination or memories of other times it was me in the moment when the truck finally restarted i was shaking as i revved the engine this was more than i had bargained for it was time to go home so i carefully backed the truck down the hill and managed to turn it around in a wider spot on the road so i could head back the way i had come If what I told you was scary, things were about to get worse and potentially much more dangerous. On the return trip up this narrow dirt road, I came to a very narrow spot that I had been able to roll through without incident while coming down the hill. But now, on a slight incline, I needed to apply power to get past this spot. I pressed down carefully on the gas pedal, but no sooner did my left rear wheel hit loose dirt. It started to spin and my truck jerked to the right and sent the rear wheel slightly over the edge of the road. Oh my god, I jammed on the brakes and the engine stalled. Fortunately, it restarted right away, but this was really bad. If I couldn't drive the truck back onto the road, I might lose it down the ravine with me inside. Equally scary would be having to walk back to the house dressed as I was, hoping nobody would see me and then figure out how to get the truck towed out of a dangerous spot that I probably shouldn't have been in, regardless of how I was dressed. Right now, sitting behind the wheel of this truck, I needed to be strong. Being strong is one thing when dressed in jeans and work boots. Being strong is another thing in suntan pantyhose, a short, tight, black miniskirt, and pink ballet flats. After carefully putting the truck in gear, I pressed down ever so carefully on the gas pedal with the toe of my shoe. I was not careful enough. The engine revved, and the rear end of the truck swung farther to the right and into a worse position on the hill. Of course, the engine stalled again as I jammed on the brakes. I was really in trouble now. My heart was pounding. But before doing anything else, I had to stop and collect myself. I needed to think this through. I sat in the driver's seat clutching the steering wheel with both hands while my pantyhose-covered legs were squeezed tightly together with my feet pressing down hard on the brake pedal. I needed everything to stop for a moment. It took me just a moment to process that our pickup truck had four-wheel drive. If I could get the truck into four-wheel drive, then I had a chance to get myself out of this horrible spot. I carefully slipped out of the cab and moved to the front of the truck to confirm that the wheel hubs were locked. Once that was done, I slipped back behind the wheel and tried to start the engine, which of course wasn't cooperating. My fear of possible catastrophe was totally real and incredibly arousing. When the truck finally coughed to life, I revved it nervously a few times, hoping it wouldn't stall again. Once it was running, I had to get the transmission into four-wheel drive. Our truck is 30 years old, so the four-wheel drive shifter is stiff, and I was becoming emotionally frenzied as I used all my strength with both hands to pull the lever back to engage all four wheels. When I finally felt the shifter engage, the 4x4 light lit up on the dashboard. Now I had a chance, but even... With four wheels pulling, the soft ground made traction hard to find. As I stabbed at the gas pedal again and again with the heel of my little pink shoe suspended two inches above the floorboard, the truck lurched back and forth on the loose ground. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest with each press of the pedal. At that moment, I was truly a damsel in distress. It was terrifying and thrilling at the same time. After some truly anxious moments, I got the truck back on the road and I was able to get back to my country house, flipped out and totally turned on. I can only wonder what I will do next to play out my pedal pumping fantasies. Thanks Mimi for sharing all our fantasies. Yay. Thank you for the, I love follow-up emails. Thank you for the follow-up email. It's really great to hear your adventures in both the Cadillac and the truck. And when you're talking about the 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 old, you know, four by four sticks, that's like my Jeep. It has the, it's almost like a stick shift to shift it into four wheel drive. So I can totally picture what you're talking about. And that does sound really terrifying and scary, uh, for a lot of reasons. But primarily, we, you know, wouldn't want you in a ravine. Uh, that, That sounds really really terrifying I'm glad you made it out okay and I'm glad that you um, had an arousing and exciting and terrifying experience all rolled into one I guess that's kind of the best of all worlds perhaps Um, and and no one was harmed Uh, it's a pretty crazy story Uh, (laughs) If you have more, please send them my way. I really enjoy reading them on the podcast, so thank you. Um, I also have an email from Eric who responded to my question on last week's episode about killing starters. So we were talking about cranking. A listener from Scotland, Mark, had written in about telling his wife about his cranking fetish and that she started researching how to crank a car. And he was explaining that um, she disconnected the fuel pump, I believe. I hope I'm remembering that right. And um, I was just asking, like, what about the starter? Does that ruin the starter? You know, one of the things that happened to me when I first started doing cranking videos was I tried to get information on cranking. And if you try using conventional. Uh, resources like from mechanics and stuff they're they going to advise you how to fix cars not how to crank cars right so that wasn't very useful and so I ended up on some pedal pumping forums and kind of poking around looking for information and the information I I gleaned was not great it presented itself as truth. But I later learned through devastating consequences that it was probably meant more as fantasy. And this is kind of one of one thing that I, I do kind of find frustrating with some of the pedal-pumping community. Oh, I probably am going to get attacked for saying this. But I think it's really important to distinguish between our fantasies and reality when there's a potential for harm and you know because I think safety whenever you're practicing fetish or kink or any kind of sexual activity whether it's with another person or somebody's vehicle you want to do it safely or at least consensually so where the person fully understands the impact and the possibility of damage that can occur and so I, I feel um, I don't even know how to put words to this. But basically, people sometimes present things in the community as though it's fact or though it's possible to to do certain things, and it's not. I mean, it's not possible to do without you know blowing up your boyfriend's Porsche. So, <laughs> which I did. So uh, I'm hoping that Eric's email is going to shed some light, some actual mechanical, factual information for anyone who is listening, who might be thinking, "Ooh, I want to make some cranking videos, or I just want to like go with my partner and crank a car and enjoy that experience. um, It's kind of like that whole... Uh, like safe word thing with BDSM like you want to play safe and you want consent and all of that so I, I just feel like before you start fucking with your car or someone else's car you should really know what you're doing and what you're getting into and what what the risk is um, and it's unfortunate that there's a lot of misleading information I think I think it's all in the name of like fantasy and good fun but it it, it can be really um, misleading, so let's d- dig into this. And I want to apologize to everyone that I'm pissing off by saying this. I'm not trying to, like, you know, rain on anyone's parade, but I do feel, uh, I do feel the way I feel. And in addition to feeling the way I feel, I also want to validate other people's feelings who may feel differently than I do. Okay. <laughs> So Eric says, hey there Mimi, so I was enjoyed my two and a half hour drive up north from the Bay Area last Friday because the foot model podcast was back and also the pedal pumping podcast just added to the delightful drive up. You posed a question about what happens to a car starter when it's cranking away. I'll try not to go into full car geek with the explanation and also I'll try to reduce the tangents but I can't promise that. So there are pretty much two types of starters, the big body types and the PMGR type. PMGR means Permanent Magnet Gear Reduction. Essentially, a PMGR starter uses magnets to crank and engine over, and in process, the starter is quieter, smaller in size, and doesn't require a lot of battery amperage to turn over. Typically, imported cars utilize this. American cars are starting to, but it's not as common, and typically it's for smaller engines like four cylinders and small V6s. The only drawback to a PMGR starter is if you're replacing it and you accidentally drop it, it's now damaged. The magnets will crack and it won't function properly or at worst, very long. Generally speaking, when you crank an engine, the starter gear gets pushed out into the nose cone, contacts the flywheel and turns the engine. This process takes a good amount of battery power. So let's say you start a car. It starts right up, all good. Well, it takes an average of 20 minutes of driving, not idling, for the alternator to recharge the battery back to where the battery was before you started the engine. When you're doing cranking video, you're purposely cranking the engine over and over and over. What's going on is the battery is supplying the power the starter needs to the engine to turn over. While this is happening, the starter is starting to get hot internally. Over a period of time, which can be years or less, the internal parts of the starter will begin to wear down faster due to the excessive heating up. Also, the battery is now draining down. Remember I said it takes 20 minutes of drive time to put the battery charge back? That's when the engine starts up like normal. Cranking away for 30 minutes will have that battery at a low charge, it could take 2-3 hours of driving to bring that battery back up. It's like a sitting car. People will start the engine, let it idle for 5 minutes, and say they charged up the battery. Incorrect. They actually are hurting the battery because it takes 20 minutes of driving, because the engine needs to be revved up so the alternator can generate more power to give to the battery. At idle only, the alternator is now heating up internally because it's not spinning fast enough at idle. To generate enough amps for the battery to consume, so as the low charged battery is wanting more amps from the alternator, the alternator is struggling to supply this and begins to heat up. When the engine is revved up, alternator spins faster and voila, more power becomes available and the alternator won't get overheated or stressed. While they all have an internal fan, it's not usually enough at idle way back when your jeep was made starters were built differently they were built to last and be abused and also weighed in at like 30 pounds or more i'm actually curious to know what's under the hood in your jeep yeah car geek it's a blessing and a curse back in the day starters and alternators were fairly easy to rebuild usually just magnetic brushes and a voltage regulator for the alternator or generator sometimes bearings for starters Brushes, sometimes solenoids, would just wear out from heat, but the starter body would be fine because the castings are thick and can handle heat. A mechanic back then could rebuild either within an hour. Parts were readily available. Today, however, much different. A shop won't rebuild an alternator or starter because it takes too long, and unless it's an old-timer working there, a modern tech probably wouldn't really know how to rebuild either. It's a lost art at the shop level. When you go into an auto parts store, say AutoZone, not my favorite place for rotating electric, or any other parts store, even a dealership, you cannot buy a brand new alternator or starter. They are all rebuilt, usually overseas. There's a few outfits that do it in the USA still, but very few and far between. Now you could buy a new starter or alternator. It would be aftermarket, which is for say your Buick a new aftermarket starter. If available would be made by some companies say Duralast, AutoZone's company. New isn't always better. So when you buy anything rotating electric a core charge is almost always applied so you pay say an extra $30 on top of the price of the say starter. When you bring the old starter back to them you get $30 back. That starter is then packed and shipped overseas to be rebuilt. A rebuilt for some levels of warranty typically goes like this. A rebuilder would get, say, five bad alternators. Of those five, that person will test the components. Whatever part is failed gets replaced, tested again, cleaned up, and put back in the box for sale. Or if, say, the case is bad, the good parts are taken out and put into another alternator, the case is then recycled, and so on. A new alternator from, say, Duralast would be a new case, new components, electronics, bearings, etc. Does it make it better? Not really. It's still, one, assembled by a person, two, parts are new but may not be of high quality, three, the case may not be 100% correct because the mold may not be the same. So you pay a little more, that, the peace of mind, but unfortunately it doesn't matter. Now, if you, say, go to a Buick dealership to buy an alternator for your Buick, it will be remanufactured. However, allegedly all the parts inside of that alternator are new and of name brand, AC Delco typically. And the person rebuilding it is supposedly not on a timer to get the rebuild done. It's done with more care. The Japanese do this, and they typically use only one or two different brands for their rotating electric. With this, the quality remains high because it's the same electronics going back into it. The better bet, which is going to be more expensive and take longer and also harder to find, is a rotating electric shop in your area. They do exist still and they will do an outstanding job because, well, if your starter were to fail quick, you could walk in and yell at them. You could go to an AutoZone, and to yell at them, easy answer, AutoZone didn't rebuild it. Some person in China did and probably had seven minutes to do it. So a local shop that rebuilds starter, electric motors, etc. better way to go. They live on reputation. So a lifetime warranty doesn't mean a whole lot if you have to keep swapping the parts out. However, it can pay for itself if you have a car that has a starter that's easy to access and, of course, if you can do it yourself. AutoZone or O'Reilly's, etc would be eating starters constantly from you doing a cranking video and say, your Buick. They can't deny the warranty, and most don't even care. But eventually it does get old swapping these out. When Bridget and I tried to do cranking videos, I couldn't handle it. I just saw the starter getting very hot, not lasting as long as it should, possible engine damage due to lack of proper oil flow and pressure. It killed me to watch. I had to stop her from... The- first attempt in the 1985 porsche carrera the starter in that was a boss and took the heat on original starter in it and also had the ginormous 49 series battery in it this thing is huge carries 900 cold cranking amps most european cars have high capacity batteries probably because the weather in europe or maybe because most german engines are high compression which takes more oomph from a battery and starter to turn the engine over Anyway, where I was I, starters can overheat and you won't really know till one day they don't turn. I did mention oil flow. Okay, as to not to scare you, when you're cranking the engine, the oil pump is spinning, pulling oil up into the engine ports to lubricate. Problem is, it's not a consistent amount of oil and also it's not flowing too fast. So the engine is slowly being starved of proper oil lubrication so yes it is contributing to internal engine wear is there something to help stop this only thing i can think of is to use a full synthetic oil it'll help the bmw uses it the buick semi-synthetic the volvo probably semi-synthetic jeep probably regular conventional oil there was no synthetic in 1958 You can use it in your Jeep, it won't hurt anything. And when others say it'll cause leaks, it can? How? Synthetic oils have higher detergency built into them. They also cannot sludge up like a conventional can, so synthetic oils will clean up the inside of an engine. So if any sludge oil that's plugging a leak will now expose it. But synthetic does not cause leaks because of what it is. It's a mechanics myth. So question. What can you do to help with the starter overheating from cranking away? You can pause and do something else and then go back to cranking again. Also, you can help the starter in the case of your Jeep. It's old enough to not need to have the clutch pedal pushed in, so when you're cranking you're turning the engine and transmission. With the clutch pushed in, the engine and transmission are separated so the starter is not having to turn the transmission as well it would take the extra load off the starter as well as the battery. It also, in my humble opinion, adds to the pedal action. The only thing you can do really is not do cranking if you want the starter to last along with the engine. There was a comment on how to disable the car from starting for cranking purposes. So the commenter from Scotland, I believe, said to remove the fuel pump fuse. This is correct, however, the fuel pump fuse is not always under the hood. Sometimes it's under the dashboard. The owner's manual will always show what all the fuses are and what and what's what. So yeah, find the fuel pump, pull it. Fuel pump is dead. Crank away, and the fuel pump pump won't kick on. A fuel pump won't overheat when submerged in the gas tank. However. If you have like a quarter tank of gas, the electric fuel pump is not submerged in gas and can generate heat buildup. Gasoline itself is cool by nature, so it pulls up the gasoline and cools the pump from the inside, but not the body. Like cases of your BMW, instead of the fuel pump fuse, look for the fuel pump relay, which is under the hood. Pull the relay. It's a square plastic box and same result and easier to do on your jeep it is naturally sometimes difficult to start however the fuel pump is mechanical it relies on the engine crankshaft to actuate the pump spoon to draw fuel so what you do is disable the ignition system you'd find the ignition coil and pull the wires off there are two system disabled you can also unplug the coil plug wire too The better way, which would be easiest, clamp off the fuel hose to the carburetor. A tiny bit of fuel would get past it, but not not enough to start the engine, but would be enough to tease that it's trying. All in all, I really hope I didn't scare you out of doing cranking videos. You're amazing from the samples I've seen. Back in the day, producers would run a car for one to two days and do their worst to it. They'd also, like, go to Home Depot, rent their truck for three hours, and just do what they needed to film and return it. Same with, like, a U-Haul. They'd rent the crappy diesel vans, rev the daylights out of them, do pedal to the metal, crank them to death, and return them. What's nice about rentals, especially U-Hauls, they have governors installed on them. Usually rev and or speed limiters. So you can get on the freeway, get it up to 70-75. You're not over speeding and bury the gas pedal and stomp it for everything it's got and it won't hurt anything realistically. Rental cars usually top out at 75 to 80. Not sure if they put them in anymore, but I assume they do for liability. To get around that, engage cruise control and mash the gas pedal. Love your work, Mimi, and I hope sometime soon I can help support your work. You would definitely be worth the money. Thank you so much, Eric. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this was this is kind of an educational um, foray into some mechanical stuff, and yeah, it's it's definitely I feel like people who are thinking about getting into cranking. Uh, talk to your mechanic, you know, get yourself very educated on, on car mechanics because it does, you know, when you, when I crank the Volvo, it, it starts to have a very like, like burning smell. And it's that heat, um, that, that Eric's talking about in his emails. So I'm curious what you guys think, um, of my comments and attitude about it. If, if you think that it's kind of a a buzzkill or the technical side of cranking i think that for people who create videos you know there's ways that people will like eric mentioned rent cars uh, do different things to get around this but if you're a, a, a person that's a novice film cranker filmmaker or if you are just doing it like mark in scotland just for your own pleasure with your partner or by yourself um as um the other listener was talking about his Cadillac experiences I just I want everyone to be well informed and be safe but maybe I'm maybe that's a buzzkill maybe on the pedal pumping podcast we should just not focus on behind the scenes stuff I really don't know what do you guys think let me know um what else do I have for you guys this week? I think I'm going to end here. I think this is kind of a long one. Eric's email was a bit long, but it was so informative. I couldn't I couldn't uh, pass up the opportunity to share it with everyone. So y'all have a great weekend. Indulge in some pedal pumping content. Buy yourself a video. You deserve it. See you next week.